0: Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are
1: your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. I think the pandemic, what showed and highlighted the most is the fact that social inequality is the biggest issue in our planet, that the richer are becoming richer, the poorer are becoming poorer and a lot of people are being left behind because they don't necessarily have access to internet or energy or water. And those are the ones who are being most affected by everything that's going on.
0: SDG Talks World, welcome back. Today, you're gonna to hear from Andrea Remes. Andrea is from France, studied in the Netherlands and lives in Mexico City. Andrea works for the Aspen Institute which works as a convener to talk and discuss around social impact aligned with the SDGs. Andre helped launch an education tech platform called Arandi Apprendi, which really focuses on getting youth, especially women, involved in science and STEM. Andre is also part of Unite 2030, which helps aggregate and promote all things aligned with the roadmap to the 2030. Andre does a lot of work with SDG 5 and 13, which you'll hear. And overall, she's an amazing person. You're going to love listening. And keep on SDG talking. Andrea Remes, welcome to the SDG Talks podcast. How are you doing today?
1: All good, Kevin. How about you?
0: I'm doing very well, thank you. Where are you located today in the world?
1: Today, I'm in Mexico City, back home, enjoying sunshine.
0: That's great. Yeah, it looks like you got some sun there. In Chicago, it's, it's, it's officially just cloudy and rainy and snowy for the next six months.
1: I can't imagine. You know, uh, for the past few years, I lived in the Netherlands. So I know the type of weather, you know, cloudy, rainy, windy.
0: Oh, I love the I love Netherlands. So yeah, did you get a degree from somewhere in the Netherlands or what were you studying in the Netherlands?
1: Yeah, uh, I did both my uh, bachelor's and master's there. So yeah, have a bit of experience studying there. I, I also love the Netherlands. It's one of my favorite countries in the world.
0: It's a great country. What did you study in the, in the Netherlands?
1: I did my bachelor's degree in South and Southeast Asian studies. So it's a bit like a combination between doing a social science degree, like international relations, but also has a humanities component. So I also had subjects like philosophy or linguistics. So it was very, really fun. I think I've been passionate about that area of the world since I was five years old. Mm-hmm. I've been, yeah, quite sovereign about it. I remember like uh, writing every year in my resolution cards, I want to go to India and I want to go to South Asia well, it just took a couple extra years to get there.
0: It's <laughs> a good example, though. If you have a goal, you can. it can be that crazy goal when you're a kid. But if you keep working towards it, you can actually do it. Yeah, and, no doubt. And I, I also, I, I, one of my majors in college was Southeast Asia Studies. And nice. I, I have a, a soft spot for that part of the world. And I love the culture, love the food, love the history. Just a great part of the world.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
0: So for those of us that don't know much of what you do, I mean, your, your background is amazing with all the different organizations that you touch and uh, what your main your main job as well as some of your, I guess you could call them side hustles or full-time other side projects. But give us some context on the Aspen Institute at, at first and then some of the other um, side initiatives that you're working on.
1: Well, as you said, my main job or my full-time job would be working at the Aspen Institute here in Mexico City. So the Aspen Institute is a nonprofit organization and the idea of the Aspen Institute is work as a convener. So they invite people from all different sectors to sit down at a table and talk and discuss and try to find solutions to pressing issues from society. So, for example, one of the topics we're working on right now here in Mexico, it's creating a circular economy for the country. So invite people from the UN, people from the private sector, people from academia, from civil society, and discuss and say, what can we do to make uh, our country a much more sustainable place in the world? Because if we still work the way we're doing, we're gonna kill our planet. This is not sustainable. What solutions can we find? And for example, we did a seminary that lasted four days. And by the end of the day, we had like a global resolutions. And the idea is not mainly to write a paper or to make a proposition to the government, but to like kind of get that sea of that intellectual exercise and make those policymakers or change makers, people from all the sectors, decide to make that change for
0: themselves. And within that framework that you just talked about, I love what you talked about, how you're, you're a convener and you bring people together and we've both participated in events, whether it be virtually in 2020 or in person in the past. I always love the events where you bring people together and you have a lot of this passion, this energy. But how do you see that transition from... Talk and and whether it's writing papers or making speeches and converting that to tangible action within whatever SDG that you're talking about.
1: Uh, well, sometimes it takes time. I think that's the big challenge that people usually stay really on the theoretical framework and taking action. Yeah, does take time because first you need to write down that proposition, and then you need to go to the lawmakers or a politician. Or maybe like an NGO who is really active and like make them do it and really push forward to that. And I think that sometimes people are just comfortable staying with doing that theoretical part. And it's hard to push and make things happen. I'm someone who's really action oriented. And I know I struggle with that to realize and make people say, hey, wake up. It's time to make something different. But yeah, I, I guess yeah, you need to push hard to make those things happen.
0: Yeah, it's it's a challenge. I mean, it's easy to to write a paper and and say things, but to to wake up tomorrow and actually do something different, or to influence something from the top down, it's it's hard. Which is which is part of why the the grassroots initiatives, the bottom up, is is sometimes uh, also an effective way of getting things done. And further, I see some of the. The other work you've done, and if you could tell us more about some of the other organizations, especially around the work you do with both gender equality and education. Uh, Tell tell me more about that.
1: Yeah, for sure. So last fall, actually, I enrolled uh, uh, with three other friends. I decided to participate in a contest called the Youth Challenge. So this is an initiative that was made by the UNICEF, the UNDP, and uh, a couple of the local offices here from the government the one uh, for youth and the one uh, local government in Mexico City. And they were inviting youth to try to find a solution and a creative solution to a problem that they found in their community. And I participated in the category about gender equality and bridging the gap in STEM subjects, so science, technology, engineering, math. Not because particularly I do things around that. My other friends do. But since I'm a social scientist and I'm really interested about social phenomena and trying to bridge gaps and gender equality in general, I was like, hey, let's do this. And well, we went through a hackathon and then a boot camp. And finally, we got to September this year and we actually won the contest. So we got a tiny uh, seed capital and we developed a tiny platform to do that, bridge the gap in STEM, uh, STEM gender gap and encourage more girls to join uh, science and technology from an early age. But how do we do that? Well, we basically gamified an experience and said, we need to show people that science is present everywhere and they shouldn't be afraid of that. And how do we do it? We just make like tiny experiments and show them, well, I don't know, when you're cooking, there's chemistry. So if you're baking bread, well, this is a chemical process of this. I don't know. We did a, like a small podcast on dinosaurs, and we told the story about the dinosaurs. And all the pot, all the uh, all the platform is guided by your avatar Erandi because that's the name of the platform Erandi aprendi, and it's a double like word game because our AI or artificial intelligence is also named Erandi, and aprendi yeah. means to learn in Spanish. So it's both the artificial intelligence learning from the student, nice, and the character guiding uh, the student through the platform. So yeah, that's the idea. Show that science uh, is present everywhere, that it's fun, that, well, it might be sound complex at time, but it's necessary because if you don't study that physical part, I don't know, like parables, well, uh, your plane is not going to be able to take off. So yeah, make it fun and also guide uh, students to make sure that if they're older, well, Science can also offer you a lot of uh, possibilities, so there's might be something out there for you. So go for it.
0: And I think sometimes there is this misconception of science, and maybe amongst the youth, where it's like you have to be wearing a, a white lab coat and and mixing chemicals and and to be to do science. But as you don't have to be a scientist, you can just appreciate and work with science. And I think you know I, I wear a water hat quite a bit, and I do a lot within water, and I'm always talking to people about you know thinking about your morning routine, how much water you use, looking at the water you use in your coffee and the beer and and then even like someone was telling me last night with an iPhone, there was like three hundred pounds of sand that's required to make your iPhone. And you, you think about these things, whether it was like your, you talked about just now, just like the bread chemistry. I think making youth aware of sort those certain things can help inspire and get get them to click and think about, well, what are maybe some of these inefficiencies that exist and maybe I could I don't need to be the one wearing a lab coat, mixing chemicals, but there's a lot of opportunity within science. And within that framework and your platform, what's the next phase? Is it, and how can, how could other people get involved? Is it something that, is it an application for youth? Is it something where people have resources, they could, they could support it or what's sort of the next evolution and how can others get involved with, is it uh or the Aprendo, is that, it, is that it? Or am I, I say wrong? yeah.
1: Apparently. yeah
0: okay. Somewhere yeah. close.
1: <laughs> well, uh, right now we're working on also doing uh, other courses, but the idea is also inviting more people if they want to upload their own thing to also have it there. Well, actually, tomorrow we're launching officially the platform in English, so it's available also for other publics. Because, Fantastic. Yeah, that's what we want to do. We want uh, the platform to grow and be able to have it all over the world. So people from all over, all all different corners of the world can also benefit from it. But yeah, like anyone who wants to collaborate, we're more than happy to work with anyone who is up for that. We actually started working with uh, a group uh, here in Mexico that's called STEM for Kids. We're also work, starting to work with uh, Lego Education. So it's growing little by little. And yeah, the idea is to bring more people, anyone who wants to join in and show that scientists for everyone. We're more than one column. Excited to
0: work with you. That's epic. Well, excited to see that journey evolve. And, and really, it's always fun. It's fun to build something and see it move on to the next phases. So I know that's going to have a bright future.
1: Hope so. <laughs>
0: yeah. So within the other work you do, and I know you you have a soft spot and passion around gender equality, and, and every country in the world struggles with, with SDG5 and, and issues around gender equality. But it'd be interesting to hear what within your experience, do you see within the SDG5 context within Mexico City in Mexico, what are some of these challenges that you see? And, and maybe what are some of the, the initiatives and opportunities that are ongoing to help address some of the inequalities and challenges around gender equality?
1: Yeah. Well, actually I had a really interesting experience. It was a similar thing that happened to me in India. I think India and Mexico in that sense have a really similar problem going on with gender equality. And I think most than anything, what needs to be done is educate people. Because most of the time, the problem is that men are not aware that they're doing something about it. They either continue doing sexual harassment, if not assault. They also are not aware of the fact that they're discriminating women by doing certain activities. I, for example, even in, uh, even if I work in an institution that promotes gender equality at Aspen, sometimes my uh, supervisors don't realize that by inviting certain people to a conversation or a panel, they're already making a boy club, let's say. And sometimes, yeah, I understand that it's hard to bridge that gap, especially because in Mexico, it's still a really patriarchal society, to say the least. And well, but that's the thing. If you want to make a difference you need to set the example so invite more women or try at least to have one if you're going to have an event if in your everyday try to not replicate those mini macho attitudes teach your environment that things need to be different yeah don't be passive aggressive always think that a woman is equal i don't know this time type of things that can really make a difference For example, I think that a really important thing to work on in Mexico City, at least, would be harassment in um, public transportation. There's a lot of catcalling, people don't respect distance, especially in COVID times. I think that's something not good, especially because traffic and movement in general has uh, gone down. And it's just that attitude of people not respecting things. We have had new initiatives like uh, creating what we call like the pink wagons or the pink buses. So it's a space only for women. But I think this is like a really short term attitude. I mean, yes, more women will be able to take those safely. But what if there's no space there? Then you're back to the same problem of women being harassed by men. So I think the idea is really, really bring that education from home. And also like being reinforced at school. Because I mean, if you check sociologically, men are not born like that. They're raised like that. So if you change that by educating men, well, you're going to make a really, really big difference.
0: Well said. And yeah, I think it's true where there's oftentimes, whether it's kids, boys or girls growing up where you do things, but if you don't know it's wrong, then you'll just do it. But if you if you know something's wrong and you had some means of telling you educating you that's wrong, then you often don't do it again. So that's where the education is is critically important, especially within this context of gender equality. But I know that I hear oftentimes in a lot of these STGs, hey, we need more education, and we we need more education and everything awareness. But how do we actually spread the word on education within the STG five context? I mean, is it do we need, is it more podcasts, videos? Is it, is it posters? Is it uh, campaigns? Is it, you know, some type of gamification that you're already doing with your platform. Like, what are your thoughts on how we go about scaling education to normalize gender equality?
1: I think it's a combination of all the things you said. Like, for example, I'm half French. And I, when I was in school, I actually had like this kind of campaign things going on. I remember there were like tiny sketches where uh, adults will come in and teach you about that, like those situations. And they will ask you as a kid, do you think this is right? And you can say it's right or if it was wrong, but then they will teach you what it was right or what it was wrong and what you could do about it. So I think that's like a good start because if you have like a really that uh, in-person activity, well, right now it's not that easy. But still, you can like have a video or uh, yeah, do a podcast about it. If you have those examples and really show people that that is wrong, I think they're going to learn that way. And I think that's something that really got me. And I really understood that respect goes both ways. And I think if we can replicate that in general to other education systems, things can really improve.
0: Couldn't agree more. And I think it's just every medium is important. Audio, video, written... And it just needs to be figuratively hit in the face of everyone, and all the seventeen gotcha. SDGs are important. And but it's—I mean, we we need the we need a, a it needs to be balanced in terms of how we're respecting both men and women, particularly women in places where you're very strong, ingrained patriarchal societies that have for generations mistreated women. So i, I kudos to you and the work that you're doing, and. I know there's a lot of that organizations out there. And if you're, if you're interested in that, you know, this, the point of this podcast is to connect. So you know, Andrea's, Andrea knows what's up and she's got some good work going on. So I, another thing I saw in your bio, and, and I, was, I was hopefully going to attend the event this year in September, but unfortunately did not with Unite 2030. What is Unite 2030? And tell me about your role with what's going on with Unite 2030.
1: Okay. Unite 2030 is also one of my big loves right now. Well, so Unite 2030, the aim of this organization is to connect youth and also uh, empower them to be able to take action towards the SDGs and the 2030 agenda. Right now, it's a huge community. I think they have over 8,000 members. So the idea is through events and through different programs, we connect these people and we invite them to take action We have done different things. We have done a couple of hackathons. We did a big uh, campaign called, uh, was it Uh, Fight for the Future? Through that day, that campaign, there was like a lot of different uh, panels and discussions and workshops that give uh, young changemakers tools and uh, tips on how to even make change, even in times of COVID. For example, we also participated at the uh, Global Goals Week in a different and similar basis. UNITE also has different programs. I am um, also taking part in the Youth Delegate Program. There, we're also working with uh, top fifty youth leaders from all over the world to also make uh, change and invite more people to be able to do it. I, also, in the Change Maker Chapter, uh, I also am a Change Maker Chapter leader here in Mexico City, and here we're also doing that, but at a local level. And particularly, I'm working a lot with SDG five and SG 13. Well, not. let's say, you know already that I'm really passionate about gender uh, equality, but I think after the march we had here in March, well, over 250,000 people manifested that things need to change, that violence shouldn't be a thing, that women are really in a bad position here, and climate change is also hitting us. Seasons are much warmer and much colder, shorter, too long, and well, we depend on our planet to be able to survive. We need the planet provides water, food. It it's our place to live. So if we don't take care of it, what's gonna to happen to us?
0: Well said. And and frankly, they're all they're all critically important and, and and of course you could you could we could zone in on one and talk about why it's the most important, but a lot of it does come to our relationship with the planet and our and how we're treating the earth, how we're how we're consuming and in what we're doing to our climate. And granted, everyone can have their own opinion, but there are certain things that are not ignorable. Um, when you think one of the easiest things to point to is, is sea level rise. And I mean, you, just, you have a lot of these ice caps that are now melting due to warming temperatures. And you have areas that are on the coastal levels that are now having forcing migration. And that's one of the biggest, earliest signs of hey we have a we have an issue going on and i'd love to hear from from you on not yes we know there's a problem and this is a challenge of our generation and our future generations and all our lifetimes but what what are your thoughts on maybe who's doing something right in terms of addressing climate change and what are your suggestions for people to actually take some sort of action around climate change
1: well, if we think about in that context, I think in general, Nordic, Scandinavian countries, Northern European countries are doing really well there. I mean, for example, talking back uh, about the Netherlands, well, it's one of those countries that really is worried about climate change because, as you said, rising sea levels, they're basically going to drown if that happens. Uh, so I think a lot of best practices can be taken from them. I mean, a lot of the developing countries have a lot of different resources to be able, for example, to transition to renewables and renewable energy. Uh, For example, in the case of Mexico, well, we can do a lot about uh, climate change. For example, if we start eating so much meat, we're so big meat consumption people. And I think that can do a lot uh, good, for our planet if we start eating and consuming so much of that. If you check the uh, CO2 levels that we have before the pandemic and after the pandemic, they're basically almost the same still because of the way we consume and what we eat. For example, I think also in my country, there could be a lot of more things done related to infrastructure. There's parts of the country who are constantly being flooded, but all the north, it's completely dry and always misses water. So, for example, invest in that, um, try to send water where there's not water or vice versa. Send energy where there's no energy. The north it's really warm and sunny all year long. So they can start producing solar energy and try to conduct it to other places where it's not necessary that they have that. You know, different tiny actions that might help. For example, here, a big problem is that you cannot drink uh, water from the tap. So you always rely on buying bottled water. So if the government, for example, invested in making water uh, from the tap something available for everyone, you can also start uh, producing so much plastic, which is also extremely polluting. What else? I don't know. I think they'll be the main ones, at least for the Mexican case. Try to be much more renewable oriented, not like our president who wants to invest in steel extract oil. Yeah. Uh, I, water.
0: Like- I think it's a lot of little things too, as you talked about. And sometimes people are like, oh, well, I'm just one person you know, within America. They're talking about the election. They're like, oh, it's just one vote. But It's one vote, it's one action, and it's the ripple effect of your actions that is the significant part where you deciding to eat less red meat every day, you deciding to be conscious about using a reusable water bottle, you being conscious about closing your fridge, you being conscious about taking shorter showers. It's a lot of little things that on the micro scale seem very small and they are, but when you do them every day and then your neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor and your neighbor's neighbor, that's the force multiplier of serious impact that are the things that we can do. And then granted, of course, you have macro politics, which are out of our control. What President Trump or whomever he's going to be president does, or what uh, these different politicians do, you just they're out of our control. And I think we need to continue to influence on the macro side, but there is something where we need to control what we can't control. And some of those little actions like we just talked about is, is something that we can all do today and tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. So with um, within the SDG context, and to kind of wrap us up here, I would love to know, and you can answer either question um, first or second, what is something that you are most excited about around the SDGs? And what is something that keeps you up at night and you're most afraid about?
1: Hmm. Well, I think something that really excites me about say, SDGs is that for once, we clearly saw that there is like this big issues and we kind of try to frame them and give them a context and try to find uh, specific points and ways to solve them and find and create an indicator for that. Are there more women in school, for example? Are there more people having access to water every day? Do they have a toilet? Are there CO2 levels rising or decreasing? You know, this type of thing is that really allows to be able to measure them and see what is the impact. And I think beforehand, the millennium goals were still really broad and didn't have that specific part to it. But I think at the same time, being that specific has also limited us a bit. And I don't know, I think uh, we're being really optimistic about doing them till the 2030 agenda. I think maybe we have to extend it a bit, to an extra t- some extra 20 years, especially with all the pandemic going on. It really showed us that we're really behind in a lot of stuff. And I think the pandemic what showed and highlighted the most is the fact that social inequality is the biggest issue in our planet that the richer are becoming richer, the poorer are becoming poorer, and a lot of people are being left behind because they don't necessarily have access to internet or energy or water, and those are the ones who are being most affected by everything that's going on at the moment so I think we need to recreate or rethink that framework and really think of what the world is going to look like after all the COVID situation is over.
0: Well said. And I totally agree with everything you're saying. And while the SDGs are a good framework, it we can't you can't just think in one SDG. You have to be looking at all of them. They all are intersected. And I think from hearing your story and your experiences to everyone, it's a said, uh, don't don't be afraid to, to start with something. I mean, from your earlier talking about wanting to, to travel and to then having this other startup that you're working on, you just got to start with something small and and work on it. And then eventually over time, working with the right people, it'll continue to snowball into something of serious change in action. So I, I you're the epitome of the, the change makers that we love to highlight and talk about. I really love the work you're doing and And kudos to it. So keep up the good work and we look forward to seeing what's next.
1: Oh, thanks Helen. You know, I think, again, going back to the pandemic, this pandemic has shown us uh, plans can change in a blink of an eye. So never be afraid of doing something because you never know what's going to happen.
0: Thanks. Well put. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash and United Nations community.
1: The goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content, so if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.